With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport Magazine and Autosport.com, I'm Luke Smith and this is the Autosport Podcast. F1's third and final sprint of 2022 served up one of the most memorable Saturday races yet as George Russell defeated Max Verstappen to secure top spot on the grid for the Brazilian Grand Prix. A split entire strategy saw Russell start on softs and Verstappen on the mediums and once both had picked off Friday hero and pole man Kevin Magnussen, a cat and mouse fight ensued at the front of the field. It took three bites to the cherry as Verstappen defended hard into turn four, but Russell got the move done with 10 laps to go before sprinting, if you'll pardon the pun, into the distance and secure the Saturday win for Mercedes. Verstappen fell back to fourth after losing a chunk of his front wing in contact with Carlos Sainz, the Ferrari man grabbing second ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Sainz's engine change penalty drops him back to seventh on the grid, meaning it is provisionally an all-Mercedes front row, although Hamilton is among six drivers going to the stewards this evening for various sprint race incidents. Joining me to discuss today's F1 sprint is Autosport F1 editor Matt Q. Now, Matt, first things first, 
Was that the best F1 sprint yet? I think so. So, listeners, I'll give you a secret that uh, we're not quite as spontaneous as this podcast would suggest. We uh, Luke sent me the script a few minutes ago for this. So I've uh, I've been around Luke and I've, I've uh, just recapped, um, refreshed for myself the, the previous sprint races. And what were the contenders before? I think Silverstone probably for um, for Max versus Lewis. But that was only really one lap one corner it was more about what happened the following day and the only other thing of note i think in at silverstone was um alonso's recovery so so that was that was decent i suppose monza you'd say how it set up the mclarens for the win the next day and then brazil was all about hamilton's comeback drive which in itself was fantastic but in terms of the question over what could magnuson do how how soon would uh, verstappen overtake and then and then the mercedes coming through and the clashes between teammates and that's what you want from a sprint race. If I can make it all about myself, it's not an easy one to write because it's so frenetic and the laps tick by so quickly at such a short circuit. But that was mega. If if that's if that's what a sprint race is all about, then then brilliant. But something I would complain about, it can't all be perfect. So um, I was delighted that the rules were changed for this year because Kevin Magnussen is now recognised as officially having won a Formula One pole position. He is Formula One's 106 pole sitter, I think. What do we refer to Russell as now? Because he's not a Formula One race winner, even though he's won a Formula One race, is he? So I could still I could still be irked about that, but uh, that's only if you press me, Luke. You can be irked about that. And I did see, I think the BBC ran uh, their flash that came up on the app, said uh, George Russell wins first Formula One race. And it's like, technically, yes, but also no. So it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it's something that I think the uh, stat gurus will be definitely uh, digging into at some point. So what do we call George Russell? But, you know uh, that I guess he did. He did win the race. You know that will be causing some consternation in a pub quiz 10 years from now. Oh, there will be. Yeah, where did George Russell score his first F1 race win? Would this be counted or not? I will be the man up at the counter saying, no, you've got to count Interlagos 2022. But anyway, it's uh, it's not about our future pub quiz success. It's, of course, about George Russell. A really brilliant display from him and Mercedes today. I think that the team came into this weekend maybe not expecting to be as competitive as it was in Mexico. I think it thought that it might be a little bit of a step back, but... The car really seems to come alive in the sprint race. We saw that with Lewis Hamilton as well, fighting his way up to third place. But I think the real key point was the fight between Russell and Verstappen. We know that split entire strategy was key and we'll get onto that. But Matt, what did you make of Russell's racecraft going wheel to wheel with Verstappen? We know how tricky it can be at times. We we saw at that very corner last year when it was Verstappen and Hamilton going wheel to wheel, fighting for the title, just what can happen. But it really seemed like Verstappen was defending so, so well well into that corner and it took Russell three bites of the cherry but he finally got the move done exactly it sort of put me in mind of sort of those Bahrain Saudi Arabia contests with Leclerc where Verstappen very much seemed to be learning what to do that's not to imply that he was green going into it but you know he, he worked out right if Russell's going to place his car there uh, and get good drive then I've left myself vulnerable so next up I need to position my car at a wider angle to get a better line better line to defend and carry more speed out of that so I thought that was really shrewd even though he was battling with a silver car and it wasn't Hamilton, I, I certainly felt that when, when Hamilton came along and they, they were battling then, I, I was sort of more clenched, I suppose, for that battle than I was for Russell. But this this is really hard, proper stuff going going toe-to-toe. And, and, you know, to throw it back to your opening question, was this the best sprint race? Uh, the 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 Hamilton-Verstappen battle at Silverstone was so short-lived. This was, this was just three laps and... But stretched over four laps, we even had a, we even had one lap off, if you like. It was a ni- nice break, and and also, um, 
that that's just talking about the main the main climax, I suppose. You know, we we could also discuss the the opening couple of laps where where Russell really sort of made Verstappen sweat, and it looked like once Verstappen got his uh, medium tyres up to temperature, that was sort of the battle for second, but effectively the win, even though Kevin Magnussen was still there or thereabouts. So it looked like that one was done, but the fact it sort of then had this crescendo, it was uh, it was brilliant, and I thought both drivers particularly as we've got uh, from lower down the grid, some cases of where it didn't go well, they executed their wheel-to-wheel battle, you know, perfect. That That is like distilled F1 and the highlights reel is exactly what you want to see. The tyre choice, that obviously was so decisive in this, it seemed like. And it really seemed like Verstappen was struggling with tyre wear, something that we've not really seen the Red Bull be a, a main weakness on so far this year. He said afterwards that he felt like he was eating the tyres alive despite starting on the mediums. Christian Horner explained on Sky Sports saying that the plan was basically start on the mediums, survive the first sort of 12, 14 laps and then should be okay. It was lap 15 when Russell actually got him. So the softs definitely hung on a little bit longer. Um, Mercedes, they said that their data showed that the that the medium was not a very good tyre to be on from what they saw in practice. But obviously Red Bull does have an advantage now saving a set of softs as they go into Sunday's race. Uh, Matt, you spoke with uh, the, the top three, so including George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, uh, after the sprint race what what did they say about that split entire call and, and what did you make of it do you think red bull simply got it wrong today going for the medium with verstappen in hindsight of, of course they did but you know uh give give red bull strategists their dues considering how brilliant they've got it a lot of this season um both mercedes drivers uh came out in a press conference and said this was not a clear-cut choice this isn't like um hungry when ferrari put on the hard tires and and everyone everyone could go what on earth are you doing? It's not even like uh, Mexico where, you know, uh, it was it was surely, surely to everyone else, it was thought Mercedes were playing way too steep by not splitting their strategies. This was not that sort of clear cut decision. I think it was a lot more, um, a lot more 50-50. However, in terms of, to bring in sort of my personal opinion instead of quoting the drivers, tonight, once we've done this podcast, I'll go and write this feature about, you know, what, what have we learned from the sprint race? And I've, I've broken down some of the numbers from FP2 in particular. And, I think the performance between soft and mediums this weekend has already been marginal. Uh, that's to say, I don't think the mediums pace is, you know, the usual sort of six tenths off the soft as it is, but also the softs aren't wearing that much more than the mediums. So they're quite a close tire. So the downside obviously of Red Bull's called start on the mediums is that Verstappen's been struggling with understeer all weekend, which, you know, he's, he's never happy with that. That's why the narrative around Monaco and Azerbaijan uh, was, was that he was, you know, being sort of um, not, not dominating Prez like he should, because he was struggling with understeer. So when those problems emerged all weekend uh, over the weekend, I think the logical point then is to put Verstappen on the sauce. So he has the front end bite and can manage the oversteer. So that's one point, but I would also take the Carpenter argument, having looking at the average lap times from uh, the used softs, uh, all the drivers or all the top six, so Mercedes, Ferrari and, and Red Bulls were running in uh, in free practice too. Verstappen's sort of middling on those. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Mercedes were quicker. Perez was much, much quicker on used mediums if they're running comparative fuel loads and all of that. So I suppose if you're looking at that and you're thinking, Okay, we think we can get Magnussen done pretty quickly, but we know we've got at least one Fry and one Mercedes um, behind us. If we're on the same compound, perhaps this is part of their thought process. We don't know at this stage. Perhaps we should do something different or, or anticipate being on a medium tyre. So instead of knowing we're the fourth quickest car at this point, we might actually do something different. And then obviously you have you have the factors like you hope the tyre comes to Red Bull or that you know, the others do suffer from degradation, but... 
it proved to be the wrong call ultimately. Definitely. And I think tomorrow will obviously be the, the, the proof in the pudding. George Russell was very quick to say afterwards that, yeah, it's the big points tomorrow. That's what we want. And he'll be uh, yeah hoping to sort of remove that misnomer about being an F1 race winner and make it legit with uh, victory tomorrow. But you, you mentioned sort of looking at the numbers and everything like that. Realistically, can Mercedes win tomorrow's Brazilian Grand Prix? Yes, I'm going to say yes, because I think uh, if I if I throw some some rough numbers at you, so if we get the hard tyres used um, on those, Verstappen is the fourth quickest driver, Hamilton second, Russell's third, Perez is actually you know comfortably quickest again. That which would support that narrative if the car is understeering this weekend, he's he's happier with that. Um, and the difference between the Mercs uh, is uh, as well as a tenth and a half separating the teammates in Hamilton's favour, and it's another three tenths back to Verstappen. If you know, and this is very much my rounding and my numbers, so take that with a huge pinch of salt. As for the softs, again, Perez leading the way, Russell, Hamilton, then Verstappen, uh, and it's sort of about three tenths covering covering those four drivers. So it is, of course, marginal. But the Mercedes case is strong. It's just how they operate because. They've been talking already of what we need to work together. Um, you know, we know that we're not the favourites going into this race. So part of that is them playing down their chances and talking at Red Bull. But I'm just, it, we speak to drivers so quickly after the sprint race that, you know, they've, they've obviously processed a sprint sprint uh, result, but they haven't gone and had their engineering debrief. And that might be the concerted, right, let's work together so we can secure the team result. And that's great. And Russell, on paper, should have secured the preferential treatment by starting higher on the grid for tomorrow. But that this comes sort of hot on the heels of Mexico has this really nice subplot. Whereas Hamilton, where Hamilton was not staying behind his teammate, he you know was super aggressive through those uh, was it turns one, two, and three in Mexico to make sure he got track position so he would be on the optimal strategy to chase after Red Bull. So. Obviously, there being team players, you know, the Brackley factories had a pretty rough time of it in 2022 by comparison to their previous years. So they want to get the best result possible for the team. But if you're going to break Mercedes duct, will we see anything tomorrow if there's a slightly so getaway, for instance, for, for Russell? And it's a case of Verstappen's there. So Hamilton has to get by and whether if they have therefore split strategies, whether they're, they're sort of their plan for the next 50 laps has immediately gone out the window because there's that been that change of order. So I think that'll be a, I know it's a horrible, horrible sort of motorsport parlance or whatever, or, or cross media, but it really will be fascinating to see Luke. <laughs> it will be. Yeah. Very, uh, an overused motorsport cliche, but I shall let you off with that. It will be though. I think that for Mercedes as well, you look at how far the team has come this year. Obviously it went from the early part of the season, struggling so much with the porpoising, looking miles off the pace that it wouldn't stand a chance of winning a race this season and then we had the Barcelona update and it thought okay we've cured it and then they find out that actually the porpoising isn't the big issue with the car all along it's something far deeper far more baked in to the DNA of the car that we know is obviously going to change for next year but particularly from what Russell and Hamilton said after the sprint race in the press conference how much does this mean to Mercedes in terms of showing that they're on the right path they're on the right trajectory and that after such a long season they're now able to 
yeah, fight at the very front, beat Red Bull and Verstappen in a wheel-to-wheel fight over only a third of a race distance. But still, that is real, not, I mean, light at the end of a tunnel. It seems like something far, far bigger than that for everyone working at Mercedes right now. Well, it's a brilliant melting pot, isn't it? They, they've talked, Russell said about how he expects to go back, back to Brackley and see them, you know, more than ever sort of pumping on all cylinders was, was the phrase he used. But in terms of circumstances, so as you mentioned about upgrades, so... Okay, Verstappen had a slow pit stop in Austin, which sort of threw the race wide open. But it was at Austin that Mercedes had this new upgrade. And since then, they've, you know, been threatening for victory in America, threatened for victory in Mexico, and obviously have won the sprint race. And there's been a step forward taken. And I asked Russell about it in a press conference, and he referred to it as being since a slimmer car has come forward. So, you know, although a few months behind, maybe they're going down this light weighting package that paid off a Red Bull uh, sort of interestingly because you know uh, under the aerodynamic testing regulations that's a, effectively a free upgrade if you like you can you can spend as long as you like as long as you're within the cost cap shaving grams off here and there as opposed to putting a car in a wind tunnel where you're where you're restricted so to look at the bigger picture and taking the confidence I think you've now got a point where okay Ferrari said oh Mexico was just a blip but I can throw some more numbers at you and this weekend looks similarly but like half a second a lap off the pace bad for Ferrari. So I don't think, you know, I think Sainz has redeemed a lot versus Verstappen on those tyres. But, you know, we saw how Leclerc, how unhappy Leclerc was, no matter what he was doing with the car in FP2, you know, probably a bit of a, some frustration hanging over from, from uh, the, the mess up in qualifying. But if Ferrari have taken that backward step and then you, you think, well, at some point Red Bull is going to be 10% down on its aero testing and Mercedes has taken that stride, for, stride forward, then suddenly what you had in, you know, before the summer break, straight after the summer break, where it's looked like, right, bigger picture here, can Mercedes challenge in 2024? Suddenly this is looking, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but suddenly this is looking like a gap that maybe one winter that might be enough. Yeah, again, it will be fascinating to see. It's, uh, yeah, definitely looking like a very close fight coming between the leading teams in F1 next year, hopefully. Speaking of close fights, there were a couple of quite spicy incidents between teammates, soon-to-be ex-teammates, uh, through the sprint. We saw Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon. They had two clashes on the opening lap. Uh, one at turn four, the stewards looked at it and said no further investigation. Uh, the second one, probably more, more damaging, literally, for Alonso's car losing his front wing was on the main straight when uh, his front wing touched the right rear tyre on Ocon's car. Alonso was pretty pretty salty about it over the radio, quite quite angry, said, uh, lost the front wing thanks to our friend, well done. Uh, after the race, he said, well, there's only one more race to go and then it's all over. So that was uh, seems pretty tense. And then down at Aston Martin, we saw Lance Stroll forcing Sebastian Vettel onto the grass as they came down towards turn four, trying to stay ahead. And uh, Vettel far more diplomatic over the radio, just going okay and then got on with it the very next lap and yeah Stroll seemed a bit more cooperative uh, thereafter what did you make of those instances Matt I mean it seemed pretty uh, I mean with the Alpine ones maybe a little bit more 50-50 but I mean with Stroll I mean it's the what second time in three four races we've seen something like that uh, looking at the uh, Alonso incident in Austin as well yeah with with the Aston Martin one, Stroll sort of banged to rights on that one. And as you say, you know, were Stroll and Alonso not destined to be teammates next season? I think you might have seen a bit more fury from the Spaniard other than racing incident for what happened in Austin. Now, that was pretty, pretty scary. The fact he, you know, 
kept the car going, Alonso to the flag is still remarkable. Um, but, you know, with Stroll, I think he deserves enormous credit that his first laps this season have been mega, you know, in terms of gaining places uh, and being super aggressive. But obviously there's a downside to that, which is now sort of not on the opening lap. He, he squeezed Vettel much too far for the sake of, of what is it? It's, inter- it's internal brag- uh, internal bragging rights at Aston Martin. So I don't think that the sort of the prize or the stakes were high enough to to you know the guy's retiring. I don't think I don't think the sort of uh, it w- it was good for either party and, and forcing him or putting him in a position where v- Vettel had to have most of his car over the grass. Um, yeah, completely needless and, and deserve a ten second penalty, which actually is you know. Um, Penalty points and penalties have been a talking point this weekend because Gasly is right up against the threshold. And and as part of our coverage for that, I was going through all the penalty incidents for Gasly. And apart from the obviously the the infamous now infamous Crane incident in Japan, he's been pinged five seconds every time. So for Stroll to get a ten second penalty, I think reflects quite how dimly the stewards thought of that particular piece of driving. As for the Alpines, uh, first off, credit to Alonso. What an almighty save on the first lap when he went wide over the sort of serrated kerb. Um, I've, I've watched the replays now several times. I just can't work out if if the two cars do touch on, on, on the first lap. Uh, you know, it looks like a mega save from Alonso, full, full opposite lock. And I just can't work out whether there's a bit of contact wheel to wheel. If there's not, then that's a, that's a proper save. On on the second incident between the Alpines, you know, going going up the hill again, I've sat on that a few times. I've watched the replays and Ocon, you know, he makes his move quite early on, coming out of what is still the last corner, even though it's not a proper corner, it's flat out. So, although he said after the event, I wasn't aware Alonso was there, it very much looks like he's taking a more defensive line. But I think Alonso, if he is coming from behind your teammate, you, you can afford to give a bit bit more room. So I know that that's sort of me sitting on the fence uh, in terms of who was directly at fault in both. But what I can't say is you can't touch your teammate once, let alone twice. So so both both sort of needs a heads knocking together, I suppose, for want of a better phrase for it. It was, it was a poor, poor incident, um, but less less clear cut than, than the Aston Martin one for me. Well, it's certainly made for an eventful F1 sprint, but it was George Russell obviously taking the win. That means he'll line up on pole position for tomorrow's Brazilian Grand Prix. Matt, thank you very much for joining me tonight. And yeah, we will see you all tomorrow for our Brazilian Grand Prix race review podcast. Promises to be a really exciting race at Interlagos. The track always throws up an interesting one. So make sure you join us then and stay tuned to all support for all of the news, analysis and reaction from tomorrow's race. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The drive to go further and reach higher. The same thing that inspires you, inspires us. At Strayer University, we're always searching for new ways to make education more affordable. That's why we offer access to up to 10 no-cost gen ed courses to help you save time and money so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. No-cost gen ed provided by Strayer University affiliates of Field Learning. Eligibility rules apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.